0: The Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. We come to worship this morning on the day that we come every week, uh, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. But on this day in particular, it's a, it corresponds, you might say, kind of fittingly with another day, uh, a significant day for some of us, you might say, uh, a day that our culture and our society recognize fathers. And you know, I think we need a little bit more celebration for fathers, don't you guys think? Uh, just kidding. Happy Father's Day uh, to you folks that are with us this morning that are fathers, we uh, We find it a fitting day uh, to celebrate uh, dads and fathers, Uh, but we also recognize the pain of a Father's Day for some, uh, a day in which we uh, know that some dads don't always reflect the kind of kind love that God our Father exhibits. Uh, We also know that some of us have relationships that are tough or broken with our fathers, and we also know that some of us miss our dads or don't even know who our fathers are. But we can all agree or uh, center ourselves around the fact that God is our ultimate Father, a God that is loving and a Father that is loving and nurturing, caring and faithful, humble and compassionate, patient and gracious. May we as the fathers and the father figures in our lives exhibit that kind of love uh, that God our Father has for us. Let's stand as we begin to uh, worship this morning God our true Father. 32 says this, let all the faithful pray to you for you, O God, may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not overtake them. For you, O God, are our hiding place. You will protect us from trouble and surround us with songs of deliverance. Let us sing such a song this morning.
1: Maybe you've seen it through the slides here before the service. Um, The new sermon series is called the art or what is the new sermon series, Ross? (laughs) Reconnecting and the Art of Rising Strong. Um, We do have a companion book that you can um, have as your own out there in the um, atrium area. Um, But as we begin this new series, it is based on different biblical characters Um, Who have fallen down in some way, some dark part of their story, and they have reconnected and risen strong. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate one who, through death and resurrection, fell down in in some ways. um, It seemed like a failure, and yet he reconnected and rose strong and gives us the power to do the same. Uh, So this morning, we actually have the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, in video form, to tell us the story of our first biblical character that Pastor Ross will speak about in his sermon. Um, And it's Joseph. And spoiler alert, the story points to Jesus at the end. (laughs) And it is our prayer that as we go through this story, um, this worship series, that our stories also point to Jesus. Um, In the Jesus Storybook Bible, they say, every story whispers his name. May our stories also whisper the name of Jesus. Take in this video.
2: The Forgiving Prince. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow. (laughs) But it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers. And you all bowed down to me. Now, I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. So Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. And one day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. Now, that's the end of that dreamer, they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life. And even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph. One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know. But Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now, back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers travelled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. But when they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. And now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he said, behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening. God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins.
0: you that might be visiting us with us this morning, we are so grateful that you are here. Our mission at Fellowship Church is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. My name is Nate Skipper, and I am one of the two pastors here now. And to be honest, it's kind of funny, but it's also a little sad, you know, we're missing our colleague, and I was feeling that a little bit this week, and then I came in here on Wednesday morning, and it's not like the light switch completely turned off, I'm still a little sad, but it was a great reminder of Fellowship Church. I walked in. The parking lot over here was almost totally full of cars. On a Wednesday morning, I walk in the north door right by the hand-to-hand food pantry, and I walk in through the door, and to the right, there's this little classroom with about six or seven ladies knitting, and they are just having a gay old time, hackling away. And I'm like, hey, guys. They're like, hey, Nate. I'm like, oh, it's so good to be greeted that way. And then I walk past Karen in the hand-to-hand uh, pantry, and she's getting ready for meet-up and eat-up later that afternoon. And then I walk down the hall and I see a sea of, red, of red-shirted volunteers that are getting ready for VBS. Some in the kitchen putting some snacks together and then all these uh, leaders and students getting ready to welcome the kids in a few minutes uh, at 10 o'clock for VBS. And then as I made my way down the hallway back there, if you know fellowship at all, there's this long cement hallway where things just echo like crazy. And billowing out from the gym is classic rock. Just jam and soup loud in there because Ken Freestone, the community action house guy, is getting ready for volunteers from Gentex or someone somewhere and welcoming them to uh, packed boxes for food. And I was like, thanks be to God. The ministry of Fellowship Church presses on and continues. It's not about any one individual, any one of us, but it's about the community uh, that God has called together uh, to take part in God's reconciling work in this world. And I was encouraged. And I was tangibly (laughs) reminded of that on top of that, I also found out this week that a couple, Ruggles and Sandra Church, who are sitting right around here in the first service, are leaving this week for Turkey to go do a training for Christians in Iran who are jumping over the border into Turkey and training them uh, to be ministers. And I'm like, how cool is that? That there's so many good things that are happening. And so we bless Ruggles and Sandra Church and their journey that they're taking uh, starting tomorrow for a good week and a half uh, to Turkey. Whether it's Turkey or Holland or anywhere in between, we are a community uh, that's called uh, to take part in God's mission for the world. And one way in which we're all invited to take part in that is in the giving of our tithes and offerings, because we know that together our our resources shared uh, equip ministries like this to to, to happen. Um, Another way, and you can drop your offerings and uh, Ties or whatever you want to call them, uh, in the uh, (laughs) offering plates at the back of the sanctuary if you're worshiping with us in person or if you're online, you can do that online. You can also, in that same plate, put on the bottom of your bulletin, there's a little sheet, and it's the word of the day or the word of the week. It's going to be connected to our sermon series that you heard just a little bit about and you'll hear more about uh, in just a second. Um, and if you have a word that comes to you during the sermon, you tear that off, put your name on, and we're going to create a cool wall of words in the gallery uh, during the sermon series. And if your name gets picked, I guess you even get a $5 gift card somewhere. So how cool is that? So check it out. More details are in the bulletin about that word of the week. In just a minute, we're going to check out a video uh, that celebrates uh, the good work of VBS and the ways in which God was at work uh, in and through our community. And while that's happening or at the very end of it, I invite the children who want to go to Sunday school with Miss Betsy to meet over by the coffee area in the atrium, uh, either during or right after this video. Check it out. It's pretty sweet.
3: Hey, if that doesn't make your heart smile, I don't know what does. Thanks be to God for that. Let's join together in prayer. Well, God, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your scriptures say that a child shall lead them. And it was so long ago with Jesus, born in a manger, but it was also so this past week here at Fellowship Church at VBS with a group of 130-ish kids and leaders gathered to celebrate that you, O God, you know us, you comfort us, you forgive us, and you choose us to join your good work in the world. And now as a church, O God, we intend to spend this summer reconnecting and rising strong with you, our God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, But we today give a special thanks for the kids and the leaders who have gone first. Let us now be like them, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've heard a few different times over, we're starting a new series in our worship together this morning. And it's called Reconnecting and Rising Strong. To catch the vision, I want to invite you actually to take a minute and just look at the cross for a second. Notice that that is the trademark of the Christian faith. It is in nearly every church everywhere. It's worn by some as jewelry. It's a Roman torture device, a tool of public humiliation. Once believed by religious leaders to be a place of cursing, it has now become the symbol of God's heart of love for the world. Our summer series is going to play on two planes represented by that very cross. There's a vertical plane and a horizontal plane. The vertical plane represents the God-human relationship whereby we recognize together that the big story of this whole wide world is one of humans breaking relationship with God and of this world going to pot because of it. And yet the central event in world history is of Jesus Christ coming. We call that Christmas, the incarnation. And he came for the very purpose of atonement, a word that literally says at one mint," which is speaking to the reconnecting of the God and the human relationship. That's what Jesus was about. Jesus risked greatly by living differently in this fallen world, and the empire and the church killed him for it but God vindicated his atonement mission by raising Jesus from the dead. We call that day Easter, and Jesus rose from the dead so that we can too. That's the horizontal plane. There's also up there on the cross you see, or the vertical plane, there's also the horizontal where Jesus literally is stretched there with his arms open to the whole wide world, loving the world at the cost of his life. And he said in a variety of ways, time and again, that his followers would be known as ones who live likewise. Jesus broke down the barriers that was keeping people apart. And in him, we too are invited to join this work of reconnecting and of rising strong. So today's focus is on dreams, ditches, and dares. I invite you to say it with me, dreams. Ditches and dares. Very good. And that is the story of Joseph, as you saw in the video, in a nutshell. It's 13 chapters long. That's why we watched the video. And it takes place over at least 13 years of life. It's one of the epic stories in the Bible. And it tells of change on an epic scale. Some movements happen in this particular story. One of them is the move from the one to the many. From a father to a family, from a person named Jacob, who is also called Israel, an individual, to Israel being the name for the people of God, where twelve brothers become twelve nations, who become twelve tribes, who become a nation called to bless God's world. It's a move from a one to the many, and it happens by dreams and ditches and dares. It's also a story of movement from my freedom. God's governance. Read the story once over and you'll notice that it seems to be a story mostly of human activity. God is hidden. Humans are just doing stuff. But look at it again and you'll see that God is active in it from start to finish. God is active and humans are active and the two work together under God's governance. The third movement that I hope you see in the story is a move from exclusion to embrace. From exclusion to embrace. The stories of Genesis thus far have been ones of brothers who kill each other, brothers who banish one another, and brothers who fight all all along and end up going separate ways. This story of Joseph is the first one that moves away from exclusion and towards embrace. And it happens by dreams, and by ditches, and by dares. And so I invite you now to hear with me, once again, the story from the book that we love, excerpts from Genesis chapter 37 through 50. I'll give you just little snippets of it. It says this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning, in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, Was the 11th of 12 brothers. Now, Israel, aka Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, They hated him even more. Now Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, Go and see if it is well with your brothers and the flock. So Joseph went after his brothers. The brothers saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and put him in one of the pits. But Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother? Come, let's sell him instead to the Ishmaelites. And the brothers listened to him. Chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. But the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a very successful man. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Chapter 41. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph said. And all the earth came to Egypt and to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over the whole land. And Joseph's brothers came. They bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself any longer. He cried, Make everyone go out from here. So no one stayed with Joseph as he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my brother still alive? Or is my father still alive? But but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And then chapter 50. The brothers said to each other, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they said, Your father, Jacob, Israel, gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. You meant evil against me, but God meant it. For good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And thus Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. And there you have it a story of reconnecting and of rising strong, and it happens by dreams, ditches and dares. So let's talk dreams. In our world today, we usually think of dreams on one of two scales or one of two ways. We have nighttime dreams and we have daytime dreams, right? Nighttime dreams are the ones that are unconscious or subconscious, and the bad ones we call nightmares. I came across this fun slide this week of some of the most common nighttime dreams we have. I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you have had some of these? Have you dreamed of failing a test? A couple of you. Have you dreamed of falling from a building? Yes. Have you dreamed of getting chased by a monster? couple of you. Have you dreamed of being found naked in public? (laughs) These are the dreams we have at night. We We don't have much control over them. We also have daytime dreams, however, and these are the ones that are closer to our hopes or our aspirations. They're kind of like a bucket list, you might say, where we have this list of things we hope to do before we die. Or otherwise, like business guru Jim Collins would say, we have a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, something we're striving to accomplish in the world. And so some years ago, when Microsoft Corporation set out to put a computer on every desk in every home, that's a BHAG, right? Or when Ford Motor Corporation set out to democratize the automobile, that's a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal that they set out to do. Well, Joseph was a dreamer. You heard it in the story, and I think he had both a nighttime dream and a daytime dream. His dream was specifically of being or doing something so significant that his older brothers would finally see and value him. And he did it. Now, did Joseph know that his dream would literally save the world, or did he only want to impress his brothers? I don't know. Did Joseph know from the very start that the dream was from God, or was he really only just youthful and arrogant? I don't know. Joseph may have had mixed motives. He might have been naive. Joseph might have been a spoiled brat. It doesn't matter. God plants the dream unannounced, and it's a dream of power gained and of power used. It's a dream of a family saved when death was anticipated. It's a dream of an empire fed when Israel otherwise wouldn't have cared. Joseph dreamed a God-sized dream, and he kept faithful in pursuit of it. You could say also that God has a dream too. In fact, This world exists because God has a dream. God dreamed it up and spoke it into being. And my best guess for why God created the world, only a theory, but my best guess is that God did so because the best things in life are meant to be shared. And so a Christian mystic named Meister Eckhart says that maybe creation happened because of the laughter of the Trinity. Because the best things in life are meant to be shared and God wanted to share it with us. God's dream seems to have been from the very beginning of fellowship with human beings, sort of God walking in this big and beautiful world alongside the people he created. Everything bad has happened since that happened long ago, and yet God stays faithful, pursuing the dream until it is a complete reality. Jesus has a dream too. He named it, right? His dream was that of all people finally loving God back and loving one another in the same way that God loves us. Those are the greatest commandments. He also had a dream that this world would catch his way, his way of being in the world, and that disciples would be made of all the nations. It's the great commandment. It's the dream that Jesus was upholding. And it's a beehag. It's not old 2,000 years later. History has had no shortage of dreamers. You know many of their names. St. Augustine, for example, long ago, dreamed of a startling kind of intimacy with God, and he pursued it by his confessions. Harriet Tubman dreamed of an underground railroad and pursued the dignity of all people. Today, we dream of a world without war or of undoing pollution or or even just of Christians getting along, we have our dreams. I wonder, Fellowship Church, do you dream? I mean, if you haven't given up yet on dreams altogether, what do you dream about? What problem in the world today needs a solution? What good thing should exist but doesn't yet? What do you dream about? Can I tell you my dream for fellowship? My dream is of all of us belonging deeply together, of us together in groups where we can share life together, laugh and cry and eat and play and do it all together. I dream of all of us in groups and of every group growing spiritually, where we share our lives and study scripture, where we love God together and put on the character of Christ together. I dream of all of us together in groups and every group growing spiritually and of every group serving missionally. Can you imagine a whole host of groups rallying together to do good somewhere, anywhere in the world and of that having continued ripple effects into our community around the world and through the generations? It's a cool thing to think about. Groups just might scratch the itch that, every human has and that the world needs us as Christians to have. Will it happen? I don't know. Is God behind it? I don't know. And Joseph didn't know either. Not when he first dreamed his dream. There's no God talk all around it. He just dreamed a dream. And only later does he realize that it was of God. He realizes it as it happens and as it goes well beyond his expectations. He dreamed of his brothers finally seeing and valuing him. And they did. But so much more. The world was saved of famine because of this dream. That's the kind of dream-fulfilling dream fulfilling God we serve. Here's what I'm learning lately. It is uncomfortably vulnerable to dream a dream and to name it. What if you can't do it? What if other people think it's silly? What if you try and fail? What if the keepers of the status quo actively resist it? If there's a word to describe the dreamers of this world, it just might be vulnerable. Dreamers reach. Dreamers hope. Dreamers try. It might be safer to numb down your dreams. And if Joseph did that, if he never told anyone about his dream, he might have saved himself a fair amount of trouble. But if you numb your dreams, you numb your life. And Joseph would have missed out on a great adventure. Thanks be to God, Joseph dreamed. And hopefully you and I, hopefully we together do too. But after the dream comes the ditch. And the ditch happens because dreams are dangerous. Dreams call forth a reality that does not yet exist, and that's scary sometimes. And those who don't like the dream know their plan. To kill the dream, you must kill the dreamer, or at least throw them in a ditch. And so Joseph's brothers do just that. They throw him in a ditch because they didn't like his dream. Some intended to leave him for dead. Others intended to sell him for slavery. Either way, Joseph ends up in a ditch. You could say also that the cross was actually God's ditch after the dream that God had. John's gospel says it perhaps most famously John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whosoever would believe in him. You know that passage. That's God's dream. But John's gospel also tells us that Jesus came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. That's the ditch. God dreamed a dream of reconciling the world through his son Jesus, but the dream was dangerous. And so the world thought, To kill the dream, let's kill the dreamer. And so it happened. The pattern repeats throughout history. Dreamers very often end up in ditches. And so the apostle Paul was imprisoned. As was Galileo, the astronomer. And Rosa Parks for her bus ride. For others, it was even still worse. Stephen was stoned. The Jews nearly exterminated, and of countless other dreamers in our world assassinated. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson once said that if you want to make enemies, try to change something. And we see it happen throughout history. Dreamers very often end up in ditches. But if God is behind the dream, we don't have to fear the ditch your dream today might be the mockery of a new idea. It might be getting sidelined or slandered or stepped over in the workplace. It might be the costliness of living morally when no one else is. It might be the sting of friends who stab you in the back. You know your ditches. One of the great quotes that stands behind the published material of Brene Brown is one that she pulls from Teddy Roosevelt from the year 1910. It's a great quote where Teddy says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and who comes up short again and again and again, but one who actually does strive to do the deeds, spending himself or herself on a worthy cause, one who, at the best, knows the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if they fail, at least they fail while daring greatly. It's a powerful quote. I can't hear it or read it without thinking of the great movie Gladiator. If you remember that movie, Russell Crowe plays this character named Maximus, and the ditch he gets thrown in is called the Roman Colosseum. So there he is, surrounded on the gladiator scale, a place packed with people cheering and booing from up in the cheap seats. They have no real investment in what's going on, no costly investment. They're only there to watch and to cast votes as they watch. At one point, Maximus surprises everybody by winning a battle that he was supposed to to lose and the crowd is confused. They don't know what to do. And so he turns to the crowd, and with dust and blood and sweat on his face, he shouts out, Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It's his way of calling the whole thing a sham. It's a way of saying it's not the critic who counts. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, and dreamers often do end up in ditches. One more thing, though. First the dream, then the ditch. Finally, there's a dare, and this is where I hope that the Joseph story knocks you off your pew or chair or couch or however you're with us today. Did you know that the Joseph story is the first story in the Bible of human-to-human forgiveness? Some scholars even say that this this just might be the first forgiveness story in recorded history. Survey the cultures of the world and you'll see that most cultures have had their ways, patterns, and practices for appeasing anger. That's not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is different and it takes great daring to be a forgiving person. Person, It takes all the more daring to be one of the world's first forgivers. And Joseph dared to forgive. He didn't need to, right? His brothers had clearly done him wrong. And Joseph had gained enough power and wealth that he didn't need them anymore. The only thing that he would gain by forgiving his brothers is reconciliation. And that's what he was after, And he had no good precedent. Read the rest of the book of Genesis and you'll see the stories. Cain kills his brother Abel for really no good reason at all. Isaac sees his brother Ishmael banished for petty reasons. Jacob and Esau were at odds from birth and fight their whole life long and ultimately go opposite directions. They separate Joseph is the one patriarch who endures the worst offense and yet is the only one who truly dares reconciliation. It could be said that just as the Joseph story begins with a dream, endures a ditch, and dares reconciliation anyways, so it is with the God story. And God's Dare was Jesus hanging from a cross and where he with outstretched arms says of the very ones who put him there, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. From Joseph to Jesus, from dreams to ditches to dares, it seems to me, friends, that God is starting a movement And it looks a bit like reconnecting and rising strong. Will you join the movement? I hope so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: invite you to stand. Let's use this next song as our prayer, because maybe God has placed a dream on your heart, and the next step is trusting God to make that to happen. Would you um, stand and let's sing together?
4: Friends, as we head into this new season as a church, let's pray for the work to come. I'll lead us into a time of prayer, and there will come a point where I will invite you to join me. At that point, the words will be on the screen. Let's pray. God of those who fall. God of Joseph. God of us. You are the one who dares great forgiveness, reconciliation, and love. Be with us in the oh-so-hard work of reconnecting and rising strong. Be with us when we are overcome by circumstances we cannot control, like Joseph being thrown in a ditch, like the pandemic and its companions. Isolation, anxiety, division, depression, and loss. Be with us when we have to confront and own our own failure. Be with us when we dream and dare, when we have given all we have, when we do show up with courage and vulnerability and we find ourselves on the ground. Knees skinned, palms bruised, faces covered in dust and sweat and blood, our hearts heavy. Lord, teach us the art of falling and rising. The art of feeling all the pain that comes with loss and failure and disappointment and continuing to dare anyway and say, I know I will eventually fail and I'm still all in. Teach us the art of living wholeheartedly, of showing up and being seen with no guarantee of the outcome. Teach us the art of rising so that we may grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ and into that sacred pattern of death and resurrection. Teach us the art of reconnecting and rising strong so that we may become the people you have called us to be, people who engage you your world, our fellow humans, and the lives you have given each of us with grace, vulnerability, trust, courage, compassion, and hope. Lord, we are grateful that as we engage the work of rising and reconnecting, your word remains steadfast. We are grateful Christ has given us words to pray, even when we do not have our own. Words that remind us of the patterns of your kingdom and call us to rely on you, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And together now we pray the words of that prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
1: once
3: Friends, ever since the world's first fall, God has been in the business of reconnecting and rising strong, and we are invited to join the movement. So as you go from this place into your various life worlds, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.